Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, Austin, mm-hmm. new month, new movie, and this is a big one. <laughs> I feel like I keep saying that often. Like, in every episode, it's just, oh, this is a good one, guys. You gotta. But this is this is really a, a big one. There's a, the films that we've picked for this last, for these last two months have been pretty big. I mean, we're, we are not holding back. Uh, we're doing some big heavy headers, and I think it's this is the perfect film to start this season off. Yeah, it's we, like what do we have coming up? We have um, this one. We have The Matrix. We have Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Jesus, these are franchise movies right here. Exactly, and there's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. And this week's we are talking about Harry Potter. And the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes, the Sorcerer's Stone, not the Philosopher's Stone. God damn it. This is America. We're saying Sorcerers, god damn it. Why, why is it Sorcerers in America, but Philosophers in the UK? That is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. I, I don't know why. In the US, in India, and the Philippines, it's known as the Sorcerer's Stone. But in England... Philosopher's Stone. It's so <sighs> weird. Like, source philosopher is like Plato and Aristotle or or some other fucker like that. But like, sorcerer is like you know Nick Cage from the Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's like Merlin. But the, you know but what the I mean? Philosopher's Stone isn't that something that is supposed to be related to alchemy? Shit, man. I don't know. I don't. I'm illiterate as fuck. I don't know. I thought it was like something that was important in alchemy, but alchemy isn't like a real thing, mm-hmm. but I can't remember what the movie's about. You know, you don't remember what the movie's about. I don't remember this movie and I've never read the, the Harry Potter books either. So that's something you and I have in common. Or I actually read one or two of the Harry Potter books, but I didn't read them um, like when they came out. Yeah, this was not the franchise that followed me as a child. Why? I just never got into it. I liked the books, but there was another franchise that kind of appealed to me more. A series of unfortunate events. That that book franchise was what I fell in love with. Made me fall in love with reading. Uh, mm. But I love these movies. Don't get me wrong. I love all of these movies. Um, and I rewatch them every so often. I'll, I'll actually... My sister and I will have a marathon of all seven of these films every few years. Where we'll watch all seven of them. Like back to back to back to back, and and they're all great. Like watching eight films back to back to back is not that Jeez. difficult when they're really really good. <laughs> you know, it's- uh, the first time like I was never into the Harry Potter franchise because I because I grew up in a religious household, and the Harry Potter series was about witch witches. Mm-hmm. You know. Never mind the fact that Jedi's are fucking space wizards and they're using magic, but somehow that was okay. 
<laughs> yeah. But Harry Potter was specifically like banned. So mm-hmm. I, I never got to have that experience of growing up with those movies or with those books. And I was, I think I was kind of um, jealous of it. Cause I remember somebody talking about Harry Potter and I was like, well, I can't read that book. So I, I can't experience it. So I have to like rationalize it in my head that Harry Potter is inferior and not worth my time to like make it. You know, mm, it's so yeah, dumb. Yeah. It's so, it's so dumb, but people in do retrospect that. is dumb, but you, you kids I mean, do it's that a- all the time. I think that's yeah. why kids get so upset or kids got so upset with like the the console wars of like the gaming cuz like you couldn't have a, a Sony PlayStation and a Microsoft Xbox and a Nintendo GameCube or whatever you know so yes. you have to like justify in your head the versions that I don't have are inferior it's so stupid that's actually a really good way of putting it yeah that actually explains the console wars <laughs> but it it is though i mean you know, I mean, I was jealous of Xbox because I wasn't able to play Halo. I wasn't able to play Jet Set Radio. So many mm-hmm. Xbox exclusives that I couldn't play. And even into the at 360 era, or I had a PS3, uh, so I couldn't play those 360 games. And I was like, man, fuck those games. Those games yeah. are terrible. Halo sucks. You know, I was a <laughs> Call of Duty fanboy. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good way of explaining it. And you kind of went through that with this franchise. Yeah. I was like, this, these, these aren't as good as the Jedi Academy books. <laughs> Wait, so when did you watch this film for the first time? I, I, I had a friend in college who really wanted to see Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One, and by this time, I was no longer a Jehovah's Witness at all. So I was like, there's no reason for me not to catch up on Harry Potter. So the, the week, I think the day before we went to go see the movie. I spent the entire day watching all of the movies. So you were a grown-ass man. I was 20 years old. I was not a grown man. Maybe Whoa. legally I was a, a legal adult, but I was not a grown man. You, you were a grown-ass man compared to when I saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, you were 20 years old when you saw this. Mm-hmm. Shit. So so what'd you think? What, what was your reaction? Uh, I didn't like the first one. I remember that. And I didn't really like the second one. But I did like Kenneth Branagh and the giant snake at the end, I think. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. The, that snake the is gorgeous. third one. The third one was when I was like, ooh, I like this. This is kind of spooky. This is mm-hmm. fun. And I liked the, the time travel aspect of the third one. The fourth yeah. one, I was I had unknowingly watched the extended edition and I thought it was bad. Really? <laughs> I I did not enjoy the fourth one, but that was because I watched the extended edition. And now I'm like eight hours into the Harry Potter franchise, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just felt really tedious, but that wasn't the intended version for theaters. Mm-hmm. The fifth one, I was into it again. And the sixth one, wait, the Half-Blood Prince. Half-Blood yeah. Prince is number six. I really yeah. liked that one. Okay. And then and- part one came out and I was like, oh man, I'm I'm excited for part two. I saw everybody like dressed up as the Harry Potter uh, characters and stuff. And I was like, it felt like I was uh, sort of in on it with them, you know, mm-hmm. even though I, I caught up just like the previous day. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the cool thing about fandoms. There is a sense of community that 
when when they're not toxic, when they're very positive, it could be very inviting. The Harry Potter franchise uh, felt like that, especially. Yeah, I, I, I have a I could relate to that because I didn't read the books. My friends from my old swimming team, shout out to them. Uh, they actually read all the books together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I saw most of the films in theaters with them. I think mm-hmm. I think I can actually remember most of the films. I've seen most of the all of them except for one in theaters. And I can remember the experiences Damn. that I, I I can remember the experiences of seeing each of them in theaters. Very different from your experience, but I'm sure but I I totally get what you're saying. Like when you saw people dress up or talking about the books or taking the books with them, it's an awesome experience to see. It's kind of like what Marvel has going on right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's the the nature of these fandoms, you know, because these stories were told to us or to the fans at a very like formative age, so it, mm-hmm. it becomes a part of your almost your identity, I guess. Yes. Um, oh, totally, man. And I think that there is, I think that is why these fandoms can be so toxic. I feel like on the surface, I was. I was going in having seen the movies like right before. I'm like, okay, I like Harry Potter. I get why you guys are all dressed up. But if they knew how I experienced the movies, they wouldn't think I would I belonged. You know, they would have called me a muggle or something. Isn't that what what they call people? Or mudblood? No, mudblood is a is a slur in the Harry Potter verse. But I oh, think yeah. oh yeah, muggle is like the I think muggle is what Harry Potter fans call people who just like the movies. Mm. Have you heard that before? I just know the the in-universe meaning of muggle. Yeah, um, in the in-universe, it's someone who's non-magic. But I think in the Harry Potter fandom, they use the word muggle to refer to people who only watch the movies. As if that makes them, like, less valid in their their, uh, fandom. Yes. Um, Which is a shitty thing to do. Every fandom does it. It's kind of... They gatekeep. Yeah, they gatekeep. Which bugs the hell out of me. Same. Like, just you don't gatekeep. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm the exact same way. I I saw all these movies in theaters, except one of them, the last one. Oh wow. I remember. Everyone in my house and my other cousins went, but I had to stay because I had procrastinated to write my personal statement for USC. <laughs> I remember that day. I was oh like, man. But uh no fear. Because I get to watch these, I watch these films every few years, and I watch them with my sister, and we watch all of them back to back to back. And what is it that you like about Harry Potter? Oh, there's there's so much, there's so much I love about these movies. As movies are all, they're all great. Number one, uh, from a story perspective, I just love the world, and I love the characters, mm-hmm. the world, the imagination behind it, the the use of magic, how detailed it is, how. Uh, just the whole world feels alive. Do you know what I mean? Like Harry Potter introduces this world and it makes you feel like this is a real place. Because of all the detail in it. Yeah, all the detail, how relatable everything is and just how much you wish you could be there. I mean, it it's on par with the world from Star Wars, almost. Like I can't decide which one's better or not. If anything, I think Harry Potter did a better job than Star Wars, honestly. Because just the detail and your character's the lore behind it all. It's incredible. I love the overarching plot. 
um with like the good guy trying he's basically trying to become luke skywalker over eight films you know what i mean (laughs) like he like that's his that's his journey like he he has the ultimate end goal of defeating voldemort and but every movie he's getting better he's learning uh it was just as a team they're all learning they're getting better and they're still having to deal with the drama at school their own personal lives it's fantastic like i just hero's journey 101 i love it basic easy to understand but there's so much depth to the to the story in some of these in movies i think the i do like the the world building i think that's a really cool thing and how harry is new to this world so you're you're like learning about it with harry at the same Mm -hmm. time yes uh and i i like how they have like their own sport and everything and how there's this like evil guy who doesn't really show up until the fourth movie, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. He's like built up for like three movies almost. He's like on the back of this guy's head. He's like this giant snake or something. He's some kind of connection with that snake at the end of the second one. I'm... Well, he he's at his soul is living in the book and that book manif- that book kind of oh, he, yeah. he manifests his his younger self in that book. And he's a parcel tongue, so he controls this snake that's been living underneath Hogwarts. And so he's not the snake, but the snake is controlled by Tom Riddle. I can hear all the marathons in you right now. Like, oh, he's oh, yeah. his soul lives in this book, and his his Christian name is Tom Riddle. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, we have so much to talk about. I mean, just on a technical filmmaking level, you could see every dollar that Warner Brothers spent on this film respect to everyone on this crew because you could tell that they put their heart and souls into it i it's that level of craftsmanship is just something that i will always value the production design the music the cgi the practical effects the the props it really does a good job of building that world um but there's there's something else there's a there's an obvious uh, what do you call it a white elephant not a white elephant elephant in the room the elephant in the room yes jk rowling (sighs) ah we've kind of talked about her before a little bit Mm -hmm. on our um rolled doll when we talked about rolled doll in our willy wonka and the chocolate factory episode by the way she is a big fan of rolled doll (laughs) um (sighs) jk rowling is a trans exclusive radical feminist turf yes a turf which I guess turfs don't like being called turfs. Um, <laughs> Boo-hoo? What's the, what's the term that they like to use? Oh, I don't know, man. I forgot what it was. I, I, I was reading up about this stuff. I was reading what exactly she said. She wrote like this big essay on her website. And it's long. It's like 3,600 words long. Mm-hmm. And I do plan on like going through it and then seeing what trans people think about that essay and how this franchise, it did mean a lot to them. And a lot of them. Yeah. Because, you know, you're going into this like magical world where you're becoming like your true self, right? Like Harry Potter is a wizard. He is becoming his, his true self by going to Hogwarts and all this stuff. Right. Yes. How, how do they feel about somebody, you know, the person that created this world, how do they feel about them hating their existence i haven't seen the movie i haven't seen this first one in again a few years but like even from the beginning you have harry's uh uncle i believe i believe it's his uncle 
or godfather who yeah uncle whatever his guardians who treat him awfully he's living in the cupboard under the stair under the stairs and they're like they know uh, do they know he's a i don't know if they know he's a wizard but they don't like him they're very they talk down to him they treat him like he's an outsider and that's already like kind of like i i believe that gay people trans or just people of a, of a minority group can kind of relate to that feeling of isolation of not being accepted by your own family or mm-hmm. by your community at large that already like from the first couple of scenes right yeah. i'm sure a lot of a lot of people can relate to like oh my god that's yeah i i'm gay and i can't talk about it with my family because you know this is this is how they are going to treat me this is how they treat me and stuff mm-hmm so it's not really that far-fetched to think someone, a trans kid, gay kid, it's just any, any minority group reading those pages and being like, oh my God, I get where Harry Potter's coming from. Mm-hmm. So then it's a shame <laughs> that JK went down this route, man, that she believes the things that she believes. I mean, honestly, the thing that hasn't aged well about this franchise, in my opinion, is JK. And I'm not even talking about just her views on trans people. Just JK as a writer, I don't think has aged well. She's definitely not a very good uh, screenwriter. <laughs> no, I, no, I, no, I, she's made, she's written the last two Harry Potter films. Not the Harry Potter. The, the Fantastic Beast one. Mm-hmm. She, or yeah, the Harry Potter universe, Fantastic Beast film. She's written both of them and I do not like either one of them. And they have not been popular. I like parts of the, the movies. I don't think that they're very good movies, but I think the first one was my first date with Leanna. So I, I can't Aww. like hate that movie. Yeah, okay. You got a soft spot for it. But it's like, man, this could have been this could have been really good instead of it's just like mm. <laughs> well, there there are some really easy you could tell there are some very blatant faults in that film. And I, I don't claim to be a screenwriter, but even I'm like, oh no, there there are issues here. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of issues. And I'm like, this is not a good sign. You know, yeah. the, the way to start this franchise. And then it just got worse with the second one where the issues just became even more apparent. So she's not a great screenwriter. I mean, for people out there, being an author of a franchise of a novel is not the same as being a screenwriter. Like you it's have not. very different, very different roles, different priorities. Yes, different priorities. Very different. Very few people could do it. Gillian Flynn did it with Gone Gone Girl, but and she did it with uh, Sharp Objects. She turned that book into a TV series with featuring Amy Adams. But J.K. Rowling cannot do that. She's tried it twice already. I know you have a soft spot for the first one. I do not think it's a good movie at all. And she's only made it worse because now she's trying to retroactively say... Uh, wizards used to poop their pants and make the poop disappear and oh this kid this historical figure in the Harry Potter world was Jewish and she's like retroactively going back to try to make the film seem a bit more diverse and stuff but it's like I've got no problem with trying to make your universe more inclusive but don't don't put up a front and say oh well it was like that the whole time when you didn't intend it for it just admit okay yeah I made a very cisgendered very uh white book of a series of books i'm sorry i don't understand her trying to retroactively go back it's like no see i knew exactly what i was doing the whole time i was way more forward thinking than you're giving me credit and it's like no you're not stop lying stop <laughs> lying one of the few asian characters in your film is called cho chan 
Cho Chen, I, I think, oh, I think Marissa told me this. It's like those, that's two last names. <laughs> I, I'll have to look that up, but I'm like, come on. J- and look, JK, hey, we're all ignorant in something. It's okay, but just don't lie. I don't think she understands what made this franchise great or how it made good movies because you know fantastic beats might be a good book if she had written the books and then someone took all the stuff that doesn't make a good movie out of the script when they adapted it exactly she didn't do that uh and you know now she's trying to retroactively change the universe that she built and she's saying all this stuff about trans people it's just like we can go into that i think we have to talk about it and then i I do want to look up um some trans people's experiences with the franchise and how it's affected them because like i think sometimes we like to get offended on behalf of other people and not really hear why it bothers them i think it's important to hear why does this bother you you know yeah no i 100 percent agree um yeah i think i think the the only thing that hasn't aged well from this franchise is jk rowling I don't because I I can't recall a moment where I was like, ooh, that's bad for my last marathon. Like maybe I think that the whole like Ron Weasley ending up with Hermione doesn't make any sense. I think it's just like, do you even know your characters? Why it would make more sense for Harry and Hermione to end up together? I think. <sighs> I get. I don't. I don't remember too much. I think opposites attract. I don't know. It's. And that is something that I'm I'm curious about. But I feel like the the romantic angles of these things are kind of like the whole Snape being in love with Harry's mom, and that's the reason why he he loves Harry. Eh, no, I mean, you is don't it think creepy? that's a little a little creepy? Is it creepy? Yeah, but like it made sense when I'm watching the watching the film and it was explained. It's like Snape's always had this fascination with her, and it just never went away that's that's kind of creepy dude <laughs> characters are allowed to be creepy like they're allowed that's to true. do creepy things because if you had a book series that or a movie that of people never doing anything bad or creepy shit would be boring like yeah it would you, but then you don't have to name your kid after your mom's stalker unless <laughs> unless it's harry potter <laughs> let's talk about how this movie was received when it came out yes let's talk about that this movie came out in 2001 and it was the highest grossing movie of 2001 we've talked about Mm -hmm. 2001 a lot i believe it's when um, legally blonde came out legally blonde came out mulholland uh, drive mulholland drive and uh, there's one more that we talked about oh the the planet of the apes remake also came out that year the highest grossing movies were harry potter and the sorcerer's stone Shrek, Monsters, Inc., Rush Hour 2, The Mummy Returns, Pearl Harbor, Jurassic Park 3, Planet of the Apes, Hannibal, and Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. This movie scored an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 201 critics and an 82% with audiences. So for once, critics and audiences agree. (laughs) For once? I feel like it's most of the time. Man... Get the f- every I feel like every other movie now it's either audiences loved it, critics hate it, critics loved it, audiences hated it. It's just maybe it's just the times that we're living in. Everything just feels so fucking skewed. I, I think when there's discrepancy, it's very loud, so it feels like it happens a lot. Okay, actually, that's a really good point. I mean, the the re- the reason it feels that way is because this past weekend Eternals came out, and Jesus Christ, 
uh, people cannot agree on that. So you are right about that. But I, I feel like most people, I think with these Harry Potter films, most critics and audiences tend to agree. Like, I, I, I don't think people are like in disagreement that, oh, no, this one's terrible and audiences and cr-. no, it's like everyone's like, no, they're all they're all generally well received to varying degrees. The third one I remember people saying was the best one. I, I don't know if it's true or if it's because Alfonso Cuaron did it and everybody loves Alfonso Cuaron or at least all like the cinephiles love Alfonso Cuaron. Well, I think it depends because if you talk to people who've read the books, they have like their own favorite ones. People who have only seen the movies have like their one that they go to generally. The the one that the one common thing that I have heard is that most people do not like most book readers do not like the sixth one. They don't seem to like it because I, I I've had multiple people say that it's called the half told story. Well, that's the thing. Like books and movies are different. They you can't like tell the complete story that's in a book in a two and a half hour movie. Is you you can't. It's impossible. Yeah, that's why the seventh one had to be broken up into two parts. Well, I mean, I mean. Maybe, but also, you know, eight movies is a lot more money in your pocket than seven movies. Yeah, but look, (laughs) but no, no. Okay, maybe you're right. But this look, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is probably the book with the least amount of page with the least amount of pages. Like every book that was released had more pages. That fourth one is a goddamn Bible. (laughs) And this first one. Probably has one of the fewest page counts. Maybe the second one has a little bit fewer. I don't know. But this first book is two. This first movie is two hours and 32 minutes. Two hours and 32 minutes. So there is no way that you'd be able to make the seventh book in one movie. That movie, that book is huge. This book is huge. I honestly that's one of the instances where i'm like okay it might have been a marketing thing but i'm also sure the screenwriters was like oh you want this whole movie in this one you want this whole book in this one movie yeah bullshit we can't do that if you want to give a satisfying conclusion to these fans then i guess you'd have to break up the break it up into two parts but but more money as well so it's a win win <laughs> i mean let's talk let's talk finances real quick this okay. movie was made on a budget of 125 million, which is huge, especially for 2001. Yes, <laughs> and this movie made back a little over a billion dollars. Uh, yeah, this movie was huge. I mean, I know people like Marvel hits that in their sleep. Oh, here's a billion. Here's a billion. <laughs> but Marvel hasn't done that in years. N- what do you mean? In two years, Endgame made two almost two billion. I guess yeah, it hasn't no. been five years since that movie came out. No. <laughs> Somehow it feels like that. <laughs> no, it's been two years. And I'm even sure Spider-Man Far From Home broke a billion. Um, They've definitely hit billions pretty often compared to other franchises. But this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did it, this movie did it back in 2001. Yeah. Wild. I think the Jurassic Park also hit a billion. And Titanic in 97 and 93. It's still a big deal. Like, I feel like people now, it's like, oh, a film hits a billion dollars. People are like, oh, yeah, okay, of course. But, like, back in 2001, that was a big deal. When Jurassic Park hit a billion, that was like, oh, shit. This is a huge monumental achievement. 
Mm-hmm. And Harry Potter is same. You yeah, know? that's that why one... they made so many young adult adaptations of movies. Mm-hmm. Is that the right? I don't know. Grammar. You know what I'm trying to say, though? Yeah, those words. But I mean, this it's a huge success. And on a budget of 125 million, let's assume that they probably spent with marketing maybe 300 mil, maybe 300 mil for marketing and budgets. They made a ton of money. They made a big check of change, including the fact that they sold merch, all the merchandising for this film. I mean, the clothes, mm-hmm. the toys. Because uh, now you warm- have like a visual representation of what these objects are supposed to look like. How And there's so much you could do with Harry Potter. Sell the wands, sell the, the houses, uh, outfits, um, yep. sell like pens that the wands that turn into pens. You know, <laughs> uh, it's just. The list goes on. This is a marketer's wet dream. Like you could easily just like, there's so much we could sell. It's redonkulous. That's why they're continuing to sell stuff. They're they're making that RPG video game. They have the the Harry Potter world and Universal Studios. They have like a game show now. Did you hear about that? A Harry Potter game show? Yeah, there's a Harry Potter game show right now. I'm Helen Mirren, and I have the absolute pleasure of being your host for this rather magical event. Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Slytherin, and Ravenclaw. They'll compete in a head-to-head trivia match about all things Potter. House versus house. Sophia, how Gryffindor are you? I'm pretty sure I'm as Gryffindor as you get. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen ads for it on YouTube. Oh, see, I got YouTube premium, so I ain't got no ads. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're still doing a third Fantastic Beast movie. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, they're doing that. And they're trying to do it all like without J.K. Rowling. But unlike J.K. or unlike uh, George Lucas, who sold the rights to Star Wars to Disney. So now they get to do whatever they want. She still has the rights for it. And there's people that are like, we don't want to do business with you if you if J.K. Rowling's J.K. Rowling's name is on it, but it still it still makes a lot of money, so they can afford to keep doing this stuff even though there's people that are actively not buying into the franchise because they don't want to support her financially at all. Yeah, it's it's messy because in the end of the day you do want more i'm sure i'm sure everyone wants more harry potter wizarding world stuff even the people yes. who don't support jk but at that point they're like i don't want to support anything that jk does which is understandable so it's <sighs> franchise is in a weird spot very weird very tough spot and i mean that's what we're going to talk about that's why we have this podcast i could foresee mm-hmm. us l- like for an hour just praising this movie just talking about the technical aspects may talk about some of the things in the story that maybe you think have not aged well but i think yeah that last hour is just gonna be about jk and just how this fandom has kind of fractured a bit and maybe it doesn't have the same appeal because again i stand by that i think the thing that that has not hold, held up about this franchise is jk herself mm-hmm. and I, <sighs> I think because she has like you know, cross that line and like planted her feet firmly in the turf territory. 
I think it will change the way people look back on this stuff. It will inform your repeat viewings and, and readings of, of Harry Potter. Oh, it definitely will. It's and some people will some people it won't, but for a lot of other people it will. And it's a shame that they have to go through that. Something that they grew up with loving, just having very mixed feelings about now. Um you don't you know, you don't like really seeing it, but it does happen and I'm sure for a lot of people that's how this this feels. So I'm gonna try to watch this movie from that perspective a little bit more and just try to see how depressing that might be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's tons of videos about it. There's tons of um, trans uh, YouTube content creators that talk about this. Jesse gender is one of them who she got like a bunch of videos about JK Rowling and, and Harry Potter. If you really care about that perspective, I would recommend mm -hmm. watching those videos. So I think, I think that's it, right? Yep, that's we we will see you in one minute. Does wish and flick. Good. Oh, and enunciate. Wingardium Leviosa. Off you go then. Wingardium Leviosa. Wingardium Leviosa. Wingardium Leviosa. Stop, stop, stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. Besides, you're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. I am 100% Harry Potter fan. I'm a huge, I'm a proud Hufflepuff, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a Gryffindor with a Slytherin rising. Me and my roommates, we have a, a, our key ring says Aloha on it. I love the characters and I love the story and I love talking about it, but it also symbolizes something in my own life that's like so important to me. I've been a Harry Potter fan for longer than I've been out as trans, for longer than I even knew I was trans. I was really into it um, when I was a teen. Slowly, it's just been chipped away over the decades since. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so tough to see someone that you idolize as a child, um, you know, say something so, just so hurtful and damaging. If she's saying that trans women aren't real women, then she's also saying trans men aren't real men, but we're not, trans men aren't part of the conversation. I don't know what's worse, feeling invalidated or feeling invisible. As trans people and as trans young people, especially, we walk around with our guard up all the time. And there are so few spaces for a lot of us where we feel like we can let our guard down and really be ourselves and feel safe and affirmed. And the Harry Potter fandom is one of those places. And then JK Rowling comes in and, and takes that away from us. All right, everybody, we are back from watching Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So it's been probably longer than four years since I've seen this, probably closer to eight. And I was half right and half wrong. What do you mean? Because I was half correct in that the movie has aged well, in my opinion. And I think outside of the some, some of the stuff that's happened, you know, in the culture in regards to JK and what she's what she be believes in. I think this move, the movie itself is going to age very well, I believe, uh, in terms of like the story and like just the film. However, JK was not the only thing that has not aged well about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I said that the only thing that wouldn't have aged well was JK. I'm wrong. There are certain things in here that have not aged well, but it's not, it's not bad. It's more of like a story thing that I just don't think really flies anymore. Hmm. Or it just kind of seems a little silly in retrospect. 
now you now that i'm older and yeah i think that's why i didn't really like the movie the first time i saw it i was just like well i have to start at the beginning even mm-hmm. if i don't really like this um but there's parts of it that i really do like i think the kids are really good actors mm-hmm. um for, you know for being kids yes i think hermione's is like the best one acting wise but she's the one with the least amount of experience as an actor at the time yes i think they just pulled her right out of school Oh, really? Yeah. But I do, I, I do like, I do remember what I like about the series, I think, is that Harry is, is somebody who wants to know the answers to questions that I have for mm-hmm. the most part. And I, so I, I really like Harry Potter as a character. Mm-hmm. I, I like how he moves the plot forward and how he's like, you know, asking questions that I would be asking if I was in this world. To some extent, I think I'd be asking a lot more questions. And <laughs> there's just like looks that he gives when people are explaining things to him. That, and he's just like, I I have so many questions, mm-hmm. I, but I can't ask them right now. Specifically when the, the guy is trying to explain to him the rules of Quidditch. And he's <laughs> like, you with me so far? And Harry Potter, he just gives like this funny look <laughs> that I had to like watch twice. It's really subtle, but it made me laugh. Okay. But then there's stuff where I'm like, this movie is for kids. But I think specifically for kids who read the books, because as I mentioned before, there's a lot of questions I have that aren't answered in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they ever answer in the movies. But if we talked about all the movies, you'd be here forever. So I just want to focus on the first movie. Mm -hmm. Well, as a whole, so you didn't like it the first time. How do you feel now? Do you like it more? Uh, do you still feel the same or do you think it's worse? Well, I think when I watched it the first time, I was kind of annoyed by it because I'm like, I don't even know if I want to watch the, the newest movie, but I have to because my friend already got the tickets. So I, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. But now going back on it, it's not it doesn't feel as much of a chore to get through mm-hmm. because I want to I want to go back to this to this world, I guess, as from fresh from a fresh perspective of my own will. <laughs> oh, fair enough. It's enjoyable. Um, yeah, I th- think there's some boring stuff in it. Like, I think the first 10 minutes of it are kind of boring. Um, really? But when he gets to Hogwarts, then I'm like way more invested in the story. I think the first 25 minutes are very well executed. I think they're incredibly well You've executed. You've never seen Matilda, right? I never have, no. I, when I was watching it, I was like, this is Matilda, but... I don't I don't like this as much as Matilda. Oh, I I have to go back and give Matilda a chance, obviously. But with how much they had to set up, you you get a great sense of the world and kind of where Harry's coming from. And there's really great mystery. Yeah, I really like the beginning. Um, And I, I, I really like the beginning. I like the middle a lot. Like I like I like the middle a lot as well. The ending's where it starts losing me a little bit. And and I I, <laughs> I very much like the movie. I do. I I'm I could see myself rewatching this movie and the entire franchise for many years to come. Kind of like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. But uh the ending of this movie is kind of convenient. Let's put it, a little too convenient. And it kind of irks we me should, a little bit. Should we talk about the story really quick? Yeah, I mean, look, okay. If you haven't For seen this movie, on the planet <laughs> who hasn't seen this movie. Oh, also, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, stop 
listening now and go to HBO Max because that's where you can find this film. You can also watch it. It, it switches between Peacock and a, a, HBO Max. Peacock is the uh, universal streaming service. So it'll switch uh, streaming services, but you could get it on HBO Max right now. All eight films are there. Go watch it. Well, I mean, there, there's another facet to this. Like, we got to talk about J.K. Rowling. And I, from what I've been reading, people do not want to financially support the series anymore. So if you don't want to watch the movie, you could just listen to us talk about it and just do your best to remember if you want. Oh, you know, okay, that is a good point. If you don't want to financially support uh, Warner Brothers associations with J.K., then obviously, yes. 100% agree. This is this part is especially for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, a quick summary. Do you want to give it, Austin? All right. Um, so basically, this is about this kid, Harry Potter, who is actually a wizard, but he's kind of um, his parents were killed and he has to like grow up with his aunt and uncle who don't like him. And it's pretty much Matilda. Like they they hate him. They make him do all the chores uh, they deny his magical powers and they keep him in the tiny little closet under the stairs until he turns 10 and he's getting these letters from Hogwarts, which is a school for wizards and witches, I guess. So he gets the letter and his parents are like, nope. His uncle and uncle. His aunt and uncle are like, nope. And they, these owls keep sending letters and letters. And then they're like, we have to move. We're going off the grid. <laughs> and then they go to this like island. And then this guy breaks open a door. It's Hagrid. And Hagrid's the, I guess, gamekeeper of Hogwarts. But I guess he was also a friend of Harry's parents, who Harry has never known. Um, and he says like, hey, you're a wizard, Harry. Let's go to wizard school. So they go to wizard school and he has to like get all these things before he goes. He has to go to Diagon Alley and like, you know, pick up his owl and his wand and all this stuff. Uh, he gets on a train and he meets Ron Weasley, who becomes his best friend. Ron is like this redhead who comes from a long line of wizards. And it's kind of hinted at that they're uh, poor or they're on like the lower Lower, end of the wizards yeah they're lower class kind of that's lower the, class it seems uh he also meets hermione granger who is like your stereotypical like know-it-all kid like she's telling them hey you gotta get in your uniforms because we're gonna arrive to school soon uh and then when they get there you meet draco malfoy who's another kid who's like super like uptight upper class rich kid blonde hair you know he's he's that guy and he's like oh so it's true harry potter is here everybody knows who harry potter is and he's like what the hell how how do everybody know who i am um and he's like so you you want to be friends with me because you know there's some wizards that are just lesser and he's like looking at ron and harry's like nah i can tell you're a bad wizard from the beginning or from how you talk to ron so i'm not gonna be friends with you and thus the rivalry is born they get to the school and in Hogwarts, there's different houses. They don't really explain what these houses are in the film. Mm -hmm. You just know that Slytherin is where the bad kids go. Mm -hmm. Why there is a house for the bad kids, I do not know. <laughs> but all of our main characters, they go to the house Gryffindor, 
And then um, they go to like their wizard class. Hermione's really good at stuff. Ron isn't so much. Harry has like this natural ability at being a wizard, specifically with his like broom class. They, he gets on a broom and is able to like uh, catch this remember ball that um, one of the, one of his classmates got for his birthday or something. And Draco's like, he takes it and tries to throw it on the roof. And Harry Potter, having never ridden a broom before, is just naturally able to like go and catch it and bring it back to the other kid. But as the story goes on, there's some kind of like mystery. They think that this other professor who goes by the name Snape is secretly after the Philosopher's Stone. But they don't really know what the Philosopher's Stone is at this point. They think that he's going after something that's hidden in the school. Um, and as the movie goes on, it takes place over like an entire school year. They discover that the Philosopher's Stone is this thing that can uh, bring people back to life or make them immortal, as well as turn mat any material into gold or whatever. They think Snape is after it because Snape is like that mean teacher at school who like will see that you're not paying attention and then embarrass you in front of the whole class. Um, he's also the head of House Slytherin, and he's also just really weird. Like, he'll get all up in your face and then say demeaning things to you and then, like, retreat away with this long, flowing cape. So he's, like, the red herring. Like, if you want to know what a red herring is, it's Snape, because you think he's the bad guy. All the clues say that he's the bad guy, but in the end, he's not. There's this other teacher who has a stutter and a turban, uh, what's his name? Quirrell? Professor Quirrell? Quirrell, yeah. Who is turns out to actually be the bad guy. No one ever suspects him because you're not really supposed to. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. Uh, there's Dumbledore, who's like the headmaster, who's kind of mischievous, I guess, because there's some really dangerous things in this school. I, th I think there's a line he has about, oh, don't go into the, the corner of the third floor corridor because you'll die a most horrendous death. And then just goes on about his uh, announcements. And he has like this mirror that's set up somewhere where if you look into it, it'll reveal what your desperate desire is. And it's not really hidden anywhere. It's just kind of like sitting around. And Harry looks at it and sees his dead parents in, in it. They're like embracing him. So like Dumbledore is kind of like a sketchy headmaster in my opinion because well, we'll, we'll get into it. Around? We'll, we'll get into it in a sec because I got some opinions as well. There's McGonagall who notices Harry's like ability at being good with the broom. So she she's like, this is our seeker. So he gets put on this team because wizards play this game called Quidditch, which is kind of like wizard. Um, what's that sport in England that they play that's not football? Cricket? I guess it's kind of like cricket. Oh, it's like rugby. It's like rugby and cricket mixed into one. Because it's very physical, right? Is oh, cricket yeah. physical? I don't know. I don't know these sports. So uh, Harry gets put on the team and he becomes a seeker and he has to like catch this thing and that ends the game. Quidditch, by the way, I don't think is a very good sport. I think it's a dumb game, but it's part of the Harry Potter world and it's kind of fun that they have their own sport. But he gets put on the team. He wins the game, but they think that Snape is like sabotaging him because he's like on his broom. And then Snape is like whispering something. And then he's like 
Harry's like flying all around. He's falling off his broom. So Hermione has to like set Snape's cape on fire and that distracts him and Harry's able to win the game. The kids find out that the Philosopher's Stone is in this basement. So they go into the basement and they have to face all these different trials that are kind of set up where they have to show their strengths as characters to get past them. Right. So like Harry Potter's really good at flying on the broom. So his thing is he flies and catches the right key and they're able to get through the, to the next room. Hermione pays attention in class. So she's really good at figuring out the weaknesses of like the, the devil's snare. Ron, he's really good at chess. So he beats the wizard chess game and Harry's able to move on. Ron gets injured. So he, Hermione has to stay behind with him. Harry gets into the last room and it's it's that mirror that I talked about before with Professor Quirrell. And Professor Quirrell, he takes off his turban and it's he's he's got like this evil face on the back of his head. Kind of like a right? <laughs> I, I um yeah, I and, was going to say should we mention it cuz that's a spoiler for a movie that's still out. I don't know if I don't know if you want to keep it, but it's Yeah, he's got he's got a a face of an evil person on the back of his head. <laughs> Very much similar to a movie that's that's come out recently. <laughs> I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um and Voldemort is like this evil guy who they think has gone away and he's coming back somehow and this is how he's trying to come back. He's trying to use Professor Quirrell to steal the philosopher's stone and give him like his body back or something. Quirrell tries to take the Philosopher's Stone from Harry, who somehow has it in his pocket. I'm not really sure how, but he's got it in his pocket. And they try to take it from him, but Harry touches Quirrell in the arm and his arm disintegrates. And he's like, whoa, what is this magic? And then Harry's like, oh, I'll, I'll touch you in the face and kill you. And he does that without, without any second thoughts. He straight up murders this man. <laughs> Fuck him. with his hands and is knocked out and he wakes up and Dumbledore tells him that the reason you were able to kill Quirrell is because your mother loved you and love defeats evil and then uh, Harry goes back home and he he gets like this photo album of, of his parents when they held him as a baby and then the movie ends as, as, with him going on the train back to his terrible step parents yeah uh, that I mean, you're right. There's a lot that's there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. This is a two and a half hour movie. Um, but those are the general beats, right? Those are the big important things that kind of happen into the film, right? Like he he's at a Hogwarts. There's this mystery as to what what are they guarding? They set it up early on when he's at Gringotts, the bank. Uh, as to what's what what does Hagrid need from this vault? Um. This movie's long. Something that I noticed is that this movie's long. Uh, it doesn't have too many scenes that I would say are quote unquote important for the plot, but it's important yeah. for setting up this universe and giving you a sense of how this world operates and what does this school setting look like. It is a uh, a movie with a lot of side quest. Yeah, <laughs> that, I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing. I, not a great I, I think it's it's enjoyable let's put it that way because I feel like there are films 
that will kind of deviate from the main story, from the main plot, to try to set up the world and the universe and the rules. And it just comes off as very boring or just like meandering. Not really this movie for me. It, yeah, I don't think that yeah, I agree in that there's things that happen in this movie that um, don't really contribute to the plot of what's what's Hogwarts hiding, you know, mm-hmm. but they're not like that. That Quidditch game is still related to what's under Hogwarts because you have Corel trying to sabotage Harry. Why are they trying to sabotage Harry? I guess you don't really know until the very end when you realize that Voldemort is. Well, you don't really No, because Voldemort hate doesn't like Harry Potter because Harry Potter is the boy who lived, right? Yeah. He tried to kill him and somehow it, it backfired on him. They don't answer it for a while, but and then they mention it before they go into Hogwarts because Hagrid goes to that bar mm-hmm. and Harry's like, how does everybody know me? And then he says, oh, because you're the boy who lived. And then you kind of get like a little flashback of how the parents died and everything. You're right. I mean, they find there are a bunch of scenes and they re- what they do is they help characterize the characters. Right. Like you kind of get a sense of who everyone is and stuff, you know, like, yeah. um, you, you get a sense of who they are as characters, which it does a great job of because you could kind of pinpoint everyone's like kind of a uh, thing, you know, or what yeah. their character caricature is. And it'll move the plot forward and it just helps build out the universe. It, re- you know, watching this film again, it really, I, I felt like I did when I, when I watched this movie in theaters, like I want to be in this world and I'm, I'm a grown ass mm-hmm. man. And I still feel that exact same way. And it's because they paid so much attention to detail. Oh, this is what the class is like. This is what it looks like. This is what they eat. This is where they eat. This is where they sleep. And the movie is not moving like fat. Like it's not pace where it's like, all right, here's the next thing. Here's that. We got to get through this. It's like taking its time and here's this monologue that Snape is giving about all the things that you can learn in this class. And as a kid, you're, you're as a viewer, you're watching, you're listening to that and you're like, Oh my God, like I want to learn all those spells. I want to be in this (laughs) class. So the movie does that very, very well. So that's why it doesn't bug me that this movie kind of will meander every once in a while. It's just like, Oh, you know, look at just, just enjoy being here. Yeah. A, A great thing that this movie does. It's, it's two and a half hours. It does all of that. But it doesn't feel long. I was, I didn't check my watch once. If anything, I was like, oh, this shit, this was two and a half hours. It feels like it was a breeze. You know, it just, it, it moved yeah. well. It, I thought it was paced incredibly well. It has enough action beats to, you know, like wake up the adult or not wake up the adults, but kind of like, you know, get your adrenaline run, running a little bit. The thing that, that I think gets, me the most like oh my god is is when the troll falls with the wand in his nose oh yeah the first time i saw it i was like oh no he's gonna he's gonna get killed because the wand is gonna go through his brain yeah i I thought that too and the the, watching it again i'm like oh no oh no it's like when somebody falls wrong Mm -hmm. in like a wrestling show and you're like no 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 don't break your arm don't break your leg it gives me like anxiety yeah it's like don't fall wrong please don't kill yourself no, no, I but it's I, it's a freaking troll, a CGI troll. I felt the exact same way. That forest scene, you know, Voldemort's basically a vampire. He's sucking the blood out of these unicorns, and it's yeah. like, oh shit! So- it's funny. Uh, Liana's a huge Harry Potter fan, and she watched this movie when she was a little girl. So she tells me that 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 scene is one that she had to skip over. 
because it was too scary for her. <laughs> no, I, I can't blame her. I can't blame her. It's it's fucking scary. Uh, yeah, especially if you're a child watching this. It could be scary. But that's what makes it so cool. This movie is very well made. Very well made. Um, I think kind of until the end. <laughs> what what did you have problems with uh, in this movie? Um, Again, love the beginning. Love the middle. I think the ending is just a little uh, too convenient. Um, and when you say ending, do you mean the fact that all the tasks that they have to complete are conveniently things that they're able to do well. Yes. A little too much. I understand. I don't I don't have a problem with, you know, like the trials kind of adhering to certain characters' special traits, but this was on the fucking nose. A chess match? Really? A, ch- a chess <laughs> match? Like, uh, like, okay. Okay. So the whole, basically, just a quick recap. They're, they have to go through all these challenges to get to the Sorcerer's Stone because they believe that Snape is there. Um, so they go through a big dog, right? A dog's guard. It makes sense, right? Like they put a three headed dog guarding this trap door. Okay. This obvious. Okay. Makes sense. Below it is these like plants like this. Uh, what was it? The devil snare devil snare. Yeah. The devil snare. And you know, it's like, uh, if the more you struggle, the it'll kill you. But if you relax, you'll just sink through. That one was a little bit like, huh? It's not really a great plan because if you're familiar with this, you'll know what to do. Yeah, Which if a her- child can get through this. If hmm. Hermione can get through this. And I'm not saying Hermione. Hermione is very smart, but she clearly read it from a book. If Hermione knows, then most teachers and professors would know. Do you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. just seems a little too... You're really bad at guarding things. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's like, okay. Hey, okay. They have more barriers more security areas okay maybe just okay you got through the two of them okay then there's the broom with the key and i was like okay you literally tailored made this for harry potter like there's this is no there's no challenge to this you just did it because he did it earlier in the film and i was like okay this is ridiculous this is this is a dumb trial (laughs) you put you're just like well oh what can we do well harry's good with a broom we'll have him you know what i mean and it wasn't like they had to get a broom or something. The broom was already there. The broom's hovering. And they're like, oh, yeah. I wonder what we have to do. Well, motherfucker, the, the broom's there. I Way too convenient. And I was like, okay, maybe they're... Or whatever. Maybe they're they're through it. <laughs> the fucking chess match. I was the, like... The chess is when it, I get back into it. Because I think it's just so funny. <laughs> I, a giant chess game. And they're like... I don't suppose this is like real wizard's chess. And then the the pawn takes the two swords and like just destroys the other pawn. And then he's like, yes, it is exactly like wizard's chess. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my okay, God, you, it's so funny. Y- you didn't know how to end this. You didn't know what trials and tribulation to put these characters through. So you just took moments from earlier in the book or earlier in the screenplay and just put them here. But you just made them bigger. That's all. That's all you did. Yeah, and like, why does Ron have to ride the knight? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it, and it just kind of baffles me because I have to because it's not Snape; it's Professor Squirrel, and it's like, well, he had to go. Th- he had to play this chess match, so I could, I just think it's a little silly. Do you know what I mean? 
I don't mind the characters learning things throughout the film and then at the very end applying what they've learned. But it just seemed a little too convenient. Like it had to be, it just had to be a chessboard. It just had to have a have a trial with a broom. And the the fact that that Ron is good at, at chess is established in only one scene, right? When yes. they're playing Wizards Chess randomly. Yeah. Like like something that I could have like imagined is if like Ron was good at games in general, right? Like let's just hypothetically, I'm not rewriting these books, but like if they establish that. He just happens to be good at games. Like he will quickly understand rules. He likes playing them. That's what he is. And they go to this challenge and there's it looks like a weird game, but he's able to kind of figure it out and maybe he could get through it, you know? But it's not it's literally the same game that they played a few scenes ago. I'm just like okay. <laughs> Did you notice when he like quote sacrifices himself the music that they play when he moves the knight? And then the queen comes in and takes it out. It was kind of suspenseful. Maybe I'm wrong, but I want you to listen to to this song. Check. Kind of. Kind of? A little bit, yeah. That's all I could hear. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's funny, this is made by uh, James... uh, Oh, James Horner. James Horner. I think he was... From what I read, I think he was offered Harry Potter. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. James Horner was the first choice to compose the score, but (laughs) but turned it down. And then they went with John Williams. And and John Williams ripped him off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that exactly happened, but you... You say they're really it brought this score in mind. Harry Potter and aliens are not similar. I don't know, man. I mean, Harry Potter was the bishop in that chess game, and the name of the song is Bishop's Countdown. Oh shit! You're making a real good case for this. <laughs> I think we're seeing conspiracy theory Austin come back. <laughs> like it, it's it's different, but like it's it kind of hmm. Like you could take you could take this the song from Aliens and put it over that scene in Harry Potter. It would work. It would feel the same. It yeah. would feel the same. And I I feel like most Harry Potter fans wouldn't even notice. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great scene. It's it is suspenseful. Um you know and they it's don't really I think it's really funny too. It's yeah. And I just thought it was a little too convenient. I'm like oh Okay. Yeah, for like, sure. And then when he's just touches the bad guy and the bad guy dies. Yeah, and and it's because of the power of love. Are you serious? That's the power of love. Because your mom <laughs> enchanted you with this power of love and I'm just like, "Get the fuck out of here." And then the rock is just conveniently in his pocket. Cuz cuz the way Dumbledore said it, the the mirror sees what your heart desires. But you're not willing, but it'll give it to you if you're not willing to use it. And I'm like, huh? That seemed like a really good uh, safety mechanism. But you let the trio that can get through this shit like the easiest and give it to the bad guy. I didn't buy it. 
I thought that whole final battle was just kind of dumb. It's like, wait, so he just got this because of the because en- of the enchantment that his mother put on him, and the rock just so happens to be there. It's like, why even give the rock to anyone? Clearly, nobody has the rock, so just don't give it to anyone. Why does? Maybe okay. And I will say this: I've never read the book, so maybe it's explained better in the in the books. I'll give you that. Sure. But that, I feel like that's not a good reason for it to be this way in the movie, because I think. If you're just watching the movie, you should be able to figure it out. Yes, like it should make some sense. But I guarantee you, most people who haven't read the books were just like, well, that just seemed a little odd. You know what I mean? Like, that was just a little, yeah. like, I don't get that. Like, so he just touched the guy's face and the guy's dead. It's like, yeah, that that happened. <laughs> it just, do you know what I mean? Like, it just seemed, and, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure JK was like trying to figure this out when she wrote the books. She may have written herself into a corner or maybe it's because there's only so many things that a 10, 11 year old is going to be able to do against a teacher, a, a professor of the dark arts. You know, like he can't outspell this guy. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> yeah. he can't like out wizard this guy out wizard this guy. And this guy is like with Voldemort and he's a young child. So I get it. But it just seems a little too. <sighs> OK, yeah, I do. I do have I feel like the stuff before I'm like okay with because it's supposed to be a kids movie and you want it you want kids to feel like they have some kind of special ability in them in themselves like maybe some kids identify more with ron or hermione or harry and they all have different strengths and you want that theme to to come across to whichever kid that they identify with you know what i mean yes everybody has their strengths maybe it's really convenient how their strengths are are tested but i don't really have a problem with it mm-hmm. and i think my issue with the end it's really like the fact that harry just touches corel to defeat him yeah. i want it to be something that something a little bit more um purposeful from harry's part like mm-hmm. he destroys the stone yeah he tricks him, destroyed the stone. Maybe, maybe something. Do you know what I mean? It just seemed a little too uh, Deus Ex Machina. Um, yeah, I, I think that if he would have destroyed the stone, that would have been like satisfying for me. I wouldn't have any issues with that. Yeah, but I'm sure that this stone comes back later on, mm-hmm. or, or in some way. Oh shape, no! Or but form, they destroy it at the end of this one. Even Dumbledore says do, it. Do they destroy it, or do they just say they destroyed it? I don't remember the stone coming back. I don't either, but it was it was funny because I met up with um, there's a person I was talking to a while ago and he was talking about how he wasn't a fan of the Harry Potter books because they just kind of always result. They always resolve themselves with this deus ex machina. And I heard that criticism. I was like, no, I don't think so. I was like, "Uh, I I don't know what you're referring to. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Rewatching this first one, I was like, oh, I know exactly where that guy's coming from. And. (laughs) Maybe I didn't notice that as a kid, but even now I was like, ah, uh, no, it was even if I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt and saying like, oh, well, you know, those challenges were it's a children's book. Just, you know, and which I which you're right. It is a children's book. And you want kids to kind of have their you want each kid to have their scene, you know, their final scene. I get that. But with that ending, I'm just like, so he just touched them and he's done. It just you could have written that a different way. And I'm not saying it ruins the entire film. It doesn't. It's it's not even a terrible ending, honestly. I just, yeah. I loved everything that came before it. I'm like, man, you could have just, just ended it with a bigger punch. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
another problem that I have, another problem that I have in a weird way is uh, Hermione Granger. They made Hermione a little too smart. Do you know what I mean? Because whenever they write themselves into a hole, they'll just have Hermione do a spell and she'll get them out of it. You know, instead of having some scenes where it's like, oh my God, we really don't know how to get uh, how to get through this. We kind of have to find another way around or, you know, we have to think of a different plan. Hermione will just come in and Alohomora, you know, or she'll um, she'll do the spell with the plant. I feel like if we would have seen them in class and she she learns about the devil's snare, where like I, I feel like we would be able to get there with her instead of her just saying how she's able to to do this thing well, just, and then do the thing exactly. And, and get... she does that repeatedly. Do you know? Like when they defeat the troll, it's kind of satisfying because Ron defeats the troll. He can't do the Alohomora spell. So, but Hermione teaches him because she knows how to do it. So when he's able to do it, he saves Harry and he defeats the troll. Well, he does. He does the the Wingardium Leviosa. Oh, thing, I, I, I said the wrong right? spell, but yeah, Wingardium yeah. Leviosa. That's what I meant. Not the Alohomora. It's Wingardium Leviosa. Hermione knows how to do it, but she can't get to him. Um, I don't think she has her wand, so she teaches Ron how to do it. He does it, which he couldn't do earlier. It's a satisfying little conclusion to this battle. Yeah, because it's the it's the reason she's in the the bathroom in the first place. Because she was correcting him on how to use it, and then he made fun of her. She overheard it. She got upset and cried in the bathroom. Yeah. So in that scene, kind of her knowing about it doesn't really it, it doesn't bug me, and I don't. It doesn't bug me. Um when it's done kind of innocuous or just kind of it's done randomly but it seems like at points that are critical to the story she'll just kind of come in and like just wave her wand and she just resolves it because she reads a lot do you know what i mean like it just seems like if you ever write yourself in a corner you just put hermione in that scene and then you're good to go in this movie i i think i disagree because there's a scene where they're trying to control the brooms and she obviously can't control the broom at all I don't think we ever see her riding a broom. So there are weaknesses to Hermione's just being like intellectually superior to everybody else. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think there's some innate wizard power that Harry has that she doesn't. Which isn't which again. And she and she's very smart. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is when you kind of write them into a corner, it feels like you just use Hermione as like the get out of jail free card, like with the with the devil snare. Do you know what I mean? There was no real. There was nothing to it. She just said, you need to relax. And then she uses a spell. Yeah, I think that's the only time, though. Well, when they're when they're running away from Filch's cat and they kind of use the Alohomora spell to get into it. And that's when they meet Fluffy. I feel like that's not that big of a deal. But it just was one of those things where I'm like, huh, if you want to get out of jail free card, you just put Hermione in it and she'll take care of it. I feel like that's encroaching on the Mary Sue argument that's just stemmed in uh, misogyny. How so? Because she is the the wizard that studies the most, right? Yes. And she, so she knows the spells. Mm-hmm. But every time she uses her ability, it's a get out of jail free card. Is it a get out of jail free card for when Harry uh, is able to just kill the bad guy just by touching him? It is, and that's what I complained about that earlier. Your your criticism of that, though, was the writing of that situation, but now you're coming after Hermione's character specifically. You don't see the difference? 
Yeah, but it's also a fault though because at this because it's gone to the point where it's just like, well, she just knows about it, and it's like you rooted. There were scenes where you rooted her knowledge, and it made a lot of sense, like the troll scene. But now we've never heard about the devil snare. It's a challenge that they they shouldn't be able to get through. It's really convenient, and she just knows about it. And I'm just like, I get that she's smart. What what does she know, and what doesn't she know? It's it's not. It doesn't bug me. But it clearly does, though. It doesn't bug. Well, it bugs me now because you're like, well, you're being misogynistic. I'm like, I I don't think it's. It's not maybe put a limit onto how much she knows. She doesn't know that much about creatures, so she can't help Halgret out with uh, the dragon. Okay, that's something that Ron knows. But at the, I think it just adds to that to the ending of the to the problem with the ending that I have, where it's just like it's way too convenient for these characters, and that plant one was way too convenient because the plant adds no real conflict, and Hermione just happens to know about the plant, the solution to get rid of the plant. You don't uh. seem convinced. I'm not convinced, but... Well, I hate smart women, then. <laughs> I, I guess so. I don't Because, <laughs> yeah. like, Harry's just, like... he He's, like, destined to do this thing, you know? And I feel like we're more willing to accept these messiah characters. You know what I mean? Well, no, you're right. The thing... <sighs> But like when it's a smart girl, I feel like people have issues with it where I'm like, do you feel this? Like the the Star Wars sequel trilogy, right? Yeah. People were mad about Rey being so good at being a Jedi when she's had no training. But people no, but didn't really complain about Luke Skywalker having even less training than her. And I don't have a problem with Rey. My problem is because here's the thing with Rey. She deals with a lot of parts, like for spaceships and stuff. She obviously holds her own. Um, everything kind of tracks. My problem with Hermione is how. If I were to ask you the question, how smart is Hermione? What would your answer be? She's really smart. Where does it stop, though? Even the Marvel universe gave some of the smart people in it like some limitations. For example, Bruce Banner in Endgame. Spoilers if yeah if you have if you're the one person who hasn't seen <laughs> Endgame, Bruce Banner's like when they go pitch him in the diner scene, he's like, Well, I don't know this this quantum, this is quantum technology. I don't know about it. When they're pitching him the time travel stuff. And the first run, he fails because he doesn't know. But I feel like Hermione is kind of in a weird way put in the position of just being the like the person who does know it all. Unless I'm wrong, unless I'm mistaken. I mean, like you said. She doesn't have that intuitive magic, then... Yeah, in this movie, they establish what her limitations are. As far as the other movies go, uh, I think... She, doesn't she use time travel to, like, make herself even smarter? But it also, like, stresses her out, gives her some really bad anxiety? I don't... Uh, and isn't her, her inclination to be so smart is because that she has muggle parents and she's really self-conscious about that? Oh, yeah, well, they do call her... They call her... A mudblood, which is in the Harry Potter world. A, a derogatory slur. term. Yeah. So I think there are limitations to her abilities. There's things that she goes through. I don't think that it's any different from Harry Potter's uh, ability to do things when the plot demands it in this movie. Mm -hmm. In the other movies, like there's stuff that I do remember her being not able to do things that 
explain why she knows what she knows, why being uh, a good student is so important to her. But I just don't have them. I haven't watched those movies in a well, long no, time. Well, no, no. It's and there's eight of them. I think yeah. it was just one of those things with where Hermione. I was like, huh? How do you open a locked door? You put Hermione there. How do you get through this plant thing? You put Hermione there, and it's like if she weren't around, these guys would be dead. Well, if if Harry wasn't around, they'd be dead. If Ron wasn't around, they'd be dead. Yeah. I think my my only thing about Harry is that he does seem clueless throughout most of the film. I don't think we actually see him use much magic. And the one thing the one thing he's good at is riding a broom. That he that just it seems intuitively like that's what he does. And I'm like, oh, it's just one thing. But with Hermione, it's just so widespread that it's like she's just smart about everything. I mean, you're right. She does have that. She it doesn't seem like she have that intuitive thing to it. But I don't know. It's just kind of just left a sore nah, it's, i don't hate it but it was yeah but i do hate women so i hate smart women so <laughs> that's what it's rooted down to there's all kinds of things that we we have um internalized that we're not really aware of oh you're right women suck dude <laughs> you know who doesn't suck in this movie who i think was phenomenal all the professors like as far as performance performances no, no, no. Go. everything like just characterization performances one of my favorites being professor mcgonagall because she's not even in the film that much yeah she's got a few scenes mcgonagall was really fun because i always remembered her as like a kid just being really scary but there was something about <laughs> watching it again where i'm like oh no she's really cool actually like the scene where she gives him the the broom and she's like we found your seeker it's like oh she's really into sports yeah, you know what I mean? I, I do like that she's the one that gives him the broom. And well, and the fact that she like the because she sees a first year flying a broom like without his professor nearby. You know what I mean? Like normally, I think in that situation, a professor would look at that and be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you riding your broom? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Especially and they were just threatened like, hey, if any of you are on the broom uh, when I'm when I'm dealing with this kid's broken arm. You're going to be expelled. Well, McGonagall wasn't there for that, right? But the assumption would be if a professor sees a student doing kind of like fooling around a little bit, they would go like, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Like that'd be the first question. What's happening? What are you doing? Why are you here? I think she's the one that gets mad at them for being late too, right? When Ron yes. and Harry are late because their, their fucking school's stairs are alive and move on their own. <laughs> Even from that example, right? Like... It's, she seems like a stickler for the rules. Yeah, exactly. So when she sees Harry in on the broom outside her window, your kind of in, your first inclination is Harry's gonna get it. You know, especially when she's like, "Come over here, right? Like, follow me." You kind of everyone's mm -hmm. like, "Ooh, what, what's he gonna do?" And then she goes to uh, what's his name? Woods. The was it the keeper? Of yeah, Quidditch. The the captain, I believe. She yeah. goes to him and she's like, I found you, your new seeker. So she basically volunteered Harry for this position that he has no idea what's what's it about. Yeah. And One thing I do wish is that we knew the stakes of this Quidditch game. You know, I don't think that we know them enough in the movie. I don't think you ever learn about them. Maybe in the book there is. Because the, throughout the whole movie, they're like, OK, well, Gryffindor earns 10 points for this. Mm -hmm. Who cares? Why is that important? Well, the the whole house cup thing, right? Yeah, like I I think that the movie needed to establish like 
what's so important about winning the House Cup. Mm-hmm. And that would explain why uh, McGonagall wants Harry to be the seeker because he's so good at being on that broom. Yeah. Right? And then that adds stakes to the Quidditch game because they're trying to earn house points that they can win for once or whatever. I don't think in any... I think in most of the Harry Potter films, there's at least like one Quidditch match that we get. I know there's one in one, two, three, six for sure. But they're never, they're just like cool scenes. Like, I think the third one does a really good job of like making it about something else. But in this first one, it's about the competitive aspect of it. And yeah, Snape or, you know, Quirrell trying to kick Harry off the broom. But it's really about showing showing the fans what Quidditch looks like. Yeah, I th- I think it's a really fun scene, but with yeah. stakes, it could be even better. I was just a little bit more curious, like, okay, how many matches is it? Is this the first one? I don't know. I just... The rules are kind of dumb, right? Or is that just me? What? The rules of Quidditch? <sighs> yes and no. Like, how mad would you be if you were scoring points? You know, you got, you're up, you're, you're at 140 to zero. Because you just keep smashing this ball into the hoops. You're slaughtering the other team. And then right before you get that last one, the the other seeker catches the... The the snitch. The snitch. The and it's like, all snitch. right, all right, Gryffindor wins. Game's over. Yeah. It's, it's My God, I'd be so upset. And it makes <laughs> me wonder, how many times is the snitch, has the snitch been caught? Like, is the snitch always caught? Because the first year... Who's, who, who's never ridden on a broom, is able to catch it in his first match. His first match, his first game, his first year, and he's able to catch the Golden Snitch. So my assumption of that is, oh, the Snitch isn't really that hard to catch. If that's the case, why the fuck is anybody else playing? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, why aren't the beaters, like, hitting, trying to kill the, or trying to take out the, the Seeker? Yes! Why are you worried about Woods and his goalkeeping? You you should literally be be beating the shit out of Harry with <laughs> not even the balls, but like just hitting them with. I don't know if that's a rule, but just hitting them with the stick. That's what I would do. It's like it doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's just like how how often is this golden snitch caught? And it's like we we talked about how Harry does have this intuitive sense of magic. Uh, and his father, who's also a seeker, yeah. So maybe it just runs in his blood and stuff like that, right? I guess. But it now, but now I'm just like, so how many snitches are actually caught? You're like, is it just think, one match? As every... far as I know, that's the only way to end the game. Because I think in the books they they go really into it, and if you're if you catch the snitch and you're down points, you'll lose the game for your team if you catch it too early. What? Or if if you catch the snitch too early, uh-huh. like let's say let's say the other team scored 160 points, and then you catch the snitch and it's 150 points, but it ends the game, you lose by 10 points. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense, really. <laughs> I and and I okay, and I and to the people who've read the books, this might be just one of those instances where Austin and I just don't know. Like we, like maybe they explain it in the books. I'm sure they do. Those books are fucking bibles. Yeah, they explain it more, but in this movie, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It just feels weird. Do you know? Like, the rules yeah. just aren't... I feel like it's needlessly complicated. <laughs> Look, exciting scene. Super exciting scene. They're always some of the best scenes in... Or some of the best, funnest moments. Funnest. 
There's some of the most fun yeah. scenes in each of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't make a lick of sense to me though, and I've never read the book, so you could you could you could shoot me for that, you know. But well, the, the movie... thing is, like we're 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 judging the movie. Yes, and the movie's completely separate. Well, not completely separate, but it is a different beast compared yes. to the book. In the book, they go through a lot more trials than just those three. Oh, do they? Yeah, they go through a lot more because each. I think there's a line in the movie. It's either Hagrid or Hagrid. Dumbledore that says Snape is one of the professors protecting the the Philosopher's Stone. Each professor designed their own game. I think it's they'd go into it more in the book, but like each professor did their own thing, made their own like room or puzzle to be solved. And Snape's thing is all about potions. I think. God damn it! I just I just can't, man. I'm like, so there are so many more challenges. Why yeah, do you have the three, like, the, the three most basic ones? Ugh. I would prefer the potions thing to the yes. devil's snare because the devil's snare we never learned about before. Yes, and there's a whole class with Snape. Yeah, at least one class where he's <clears throat> talking about all the things you'll learn. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. You know, and, he, and, and you know what? And to go back to my criticism of Hermione, the potion scenes would have made way more fucking sense. Do you want to know why? Because when Snape is berating the shit out of Harry, and he's like, do you know what happens when I add this thing and this thing? Who's raising their hand? Hermione. For all the questions. So she clearly knows about potions. So if there was mm-hmm. a potion room, she would have been like, no, doofus. That's, this is like, we learned this in class, but you weren't paying attention after Snape totally massacred you in front of the class. It's this and this. I'm like, oh, it, make, it brings it full circle. God damn it. Somehow... Somehow I feel like you'd still have a problem with it. <laughs> no, I, I totally wouldn't. I, I think I would have a problem with it in the sense of like. Why does Hermione know this and not none of the boys? No, I'm again, I'm calling it. <laughs> I'm calling out the chess section of of Ron as well. Ron's section as well, because I'm like, God, di- really? The the potion thing would have been better, better than the devil's snare. And that scene was really good, too. The one in the in the classroom. Because you do get a sense of just how smart she is and how well-versed in, post- in potions she is. She's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I know. And and the thing is, too, there's a relatability to that. Because we all know that kid that just knows all the answers in that class. You know what I mean? Like, that's the trope where you have that kid that's just, I know, I know, I know. I used to be that kid in, like, <sighs> high school and stuff. That's why you went there. That's Because you, <laughs> you were a Hermione. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, you were a Hermione. And guess who I was? I was fucking Harry. No, I was Harry getting berated by the teachers. <laughs> listen, you, listen, you little shit. If you'd been, if you'd done your homework, you would have known that two plus two equals four, not two plus two equals twenty-two. But again, you are making a book into a movie. It's a different beast. I know those the writer, huge, huge different thing. That I know the writer has gone on to say that you know adapting, adapting these books was difficult. You know, and you had some directors who were kind of pitching making the first and the second books together. Um, it there's no real mm-hmm. guidelines into how to how do you transfer a book to a movie, right? Yeah, We've, and I, I feel like sometimes we get worried about the wrong things too. Yes, like uh, and I know when they made this movie, they they try to get like prosthetic teeth for Hermione so that they match yeah. the description in the book. They put contacts. They try to put contacts in Daniel Radcliffe's, Radcliffe's eyes because Harry Potter's eyes are green in the book. Mm-hmm. But it's like, dude, 
No. He had an allergic reaction to those contact lenses. Yeah, Hermione couldn't say her lines. Or uh, Emma Watson couldn't say her lines. Adapting a book is a totally different beast. So are some of these things that we're saying, like, issues? You know, like the lack of, like, the, the, the Quidditch thing not totally making sense. Uh, is it a real criticism? I mean, as far as the movie goes, like, I feel like it should make a little more sense. You know? Yeah, like, I agree. And then I'm also like, it's half and half, you know? Like, I, I get where you're coming from. Whereas, like, uh, I think if you're writing the book, right, you, you write it the way it makes sense for you in your head, and then you go to the publisher or whatever, and maybe they have some issues with it, and mm-hmm. they'll want to change some things. But yeah. in the movie... There's so many people that get a say in what happens. You right? got JK, the director, the writer, the studio, the, the focus groups. And um, you know that people get upset when you change stuff. Yes. Yes. Unreasonably upset. Especially book fans. Yeah. People were, were threatening to boycott the Hunger Games because they made Rue black. Ooh. People were upset when they, they put... Uh, Daniel Craig as James Bond. Oh, yeah. Bond can't be blonde. He's not real. Blonde, blonde with blue eyes. I remember that. I think I might have mentioned this before. Um, they, they were angry about Heath Ledger being Joker because you're taking Batman's greatest adversary and you're giving it to this guy that had sex with Jake Gyllenhaal. That was I, I'm not I'm not making that up. That's actual. Yeah. I remember this stuff verbatim. It's not just like like petty. It's also like kind of xenophobic. It's just getting wrong. It's getting upset over the dumbest shit. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter at this point, especially if the film hasn't come out yet. Do you know what I mean? Just give it a chance. See how it plays out. See how it relates to the original material and then make your fucking opinion. People are so up in arms about having an opinion even before they see a frame of the fucking thing. Yeah. To, to a certain extent, it still kind of bugged me when people did that with Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz for the new upcoming Batman. Because they're doing the exact same thing. Well, you know, that guy was in Twilight. You know, he's a vamp- he's a sparkly vampire. He can't be Batman. And I'm like... Yeah, people were upset with um, Zazie Beetz playing Domino. It's not just book fans. It's comic book fans. It's like, get your priorities straight. That's actually one of the things I didn't hear too much about Dune. Uh, than Evil News Dune because they mm-hmm. they cast that movie. It seems very diverse, and I didn't hear to I didn't hear people complain about that. I'm sure some people did. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I just didn't hear about it. Like I didn't I did hear about with, it with Star Wars. Like I remember people complaining about Daniel Boy, not Daniel John Boyega, John Boyega, John Jesus. Boyega for being a black stormtrooper, which is just wild. I and I'm and I'm sure. They made some changes to this film because it was like, well, the, the fans don't like that. So it's like that gatekeeping thing we were talking about. It's my thing and I need to adhere to what I like. I hate it so much. It's I not great. It. It's not positive. Like this movie is not going to ruin your book. Like your book was special to you and the movie's not going to change that. You know, actually, there was some controversy that Harry Potter kind of had with this because they JK wrote The Cursed Child, which is like a play that takes place after Deathly Hallows. I guess Harry already has a son or something like that. In the play, they casted Hermione as black. Mm-hmm. And fans are like, well, she's clearly white in the stories. Like, she, you said she's white. And it's one of those things where it's like, 
I get that you have a strong emotions to her, Hermione Granger, Emma Watson, but just let the actress act. Yeah, it's a it's a play, goddammit. It's a play. The, the fact that they hired her means that she was the best person. So let her do her thing. Don't get up in arms about, you know, the fucking lead is in Daniel Radcliffe. Do you know what I mean? Like, just just build the bridge. Get over it. It's not really, it's not the worst thing, you know? Yeah. <sighs> what were we talking about before? I don't know. We, we went on the huge rampage. Jesus um, Christ. I mean, well, okay, look, what we were saying was we were talking about Quidditch. And we're talking about how maybe we aren't familiar with the rules, but maybe fans are. And they're saying that we're yeah. stupid right now. But you you have to find a, a way of being creative when you're adapting this stuff. And and, mm-hmm. and look, again, again, I'm shitting about the ending. But I think the, the screenwriter did a good job. This is a two and a half hour yeah. children's film. It went by really fast. It's entertaining. I think it's going to hold up. So clearly they did something right. Yeah, and it got a lot of people interested in Harry Potter, like got myself me. included. Yeah. I would have never experienced this world if it wasn't for those movies. Exactly. And they clearly focused on the important things, getting the characters right, characterizing it, setting up the incredible mystery. This movie has an, a fantastic mystery. The Boy Who Lived, right? They got yeah. that really down. They got that sense of eeriness and suspense and mystery. They got it down right. So clearly this movie, you know, again, look, maybe is the Quidditch thing maybe a fault here? Okay, sure. But they got a lot right. Again, I I have an issue with the fi- finale. But they still it still got a lot right to the point where, yeah, it outweighs the bad by a mile. So, well, as far as like a movie goes, like yes. I think it's more on the good side than the bad side. Yes. I know I read through the the differences between the books, obviously, Mm because I know about the Quidditch thing um, and the the trials at the end. But Mm -hmm. the movie is still solid. Like it's still like a a decent movie. If anything, I don't like the beginning more because I feel like it's too familiar with Matilda. And that world that Harry lives in doesn't seem real. It's like a comical British kids movie, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm just I'm not in the mood for that, I guess, anymore. No, fair enough. You know what the weird thing is? Because I've never seen Matilda. If I went back and watched Matilda now, or in the future, because I feel like yeah. you've mentioned <laughs> Matilda enough. I feel like we're going Got to talk it. about Matilda at some point. I feel like I'm going <laughs> to, there's a chick. I think it'd be funny <laughs> if I watched that. It's like, you know what? It just reminded me too much of Harry Potter. I just don't. Yeah, that'd be, and that would be fair. <laughs> and you'll be like. <laughs> you know what else though? This, this movie reminded me of Dune too. What the fuck? How? The whole Messiah thing. Harry Potter's the boy who lived, and Paul he, Atreides is the Dune Messiah or something. Yeah. That, I don't know the word, and everybody knows who he is, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, people treat Harry like he's a celebrity, a celebrity yeah. Messiah or something like that, where it's like, he's the boy who lived. And his his legacy, of, like his familial legacy is important. Yeah. yeah and it gives him things that other people don't have. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, this has a lot in common with Dune. <laughs> What's the thing about stories? So they they have they borrow a lot from each other. Yes, yes, 100%. I will say, um, I mean, this is Hero's Journey 101. This yeah, is, for sure. This is, I mean, this Dune was written before this, so I'm sure JK maybe got some stuff from this or from other movies like with, that has a Messiah character. But this movie does enough. This world is so enriching. With so many cool things. What does sports look like? 
how does a how does a wand choose its maker right like the, even the, even that's a i thing. love that i the, love that one thing yeah it's the little de- and that's this movie has that and that's why i don't mind the runtime and i think it's paced really well it's because the movie does that constantly so how did someone get their how does someone get their um want how does someone pick up a broomstick and a, a, a bewitched broomstick uh how do you play chess in this world right <laughs> chess um, is just regular chess but the pieces are animated kind of like star wars right <laughs> exactly that's how we bring in star wars thank you <laughs> little details like that and honestly i think those little details this movie does better than probably star wars i think there's some things that don't make sense in star wars but like pod racing makes more sense than quidditch <laughs> right <laughs> yes yes a hundred percent it does make more sense but harry potter spends more time exploring more of those things more ambitious yeah but i think that it it falls into like it's one person coming up with all this stuff right mm-hmm. and yep. they're constantly making the world bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and it gets to the point where i don't think that stories are meant to be told this way because she she says some like really weird things about the wizarding world. That's like, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. Wizards poop themselves all the time, but these yeah. magic to get away. Like, um, what? <laughs> it really does seem like JK kind of her head kind of inflated a little bit. And I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit, but JK, um, look, I- I'm gonna give her some props before. Cause I know we're going to talk about the dumb shit she said. Right, we're good. We're still gonna get to that, but reading about the making of the film, I kind of was a bit kind of blown away by her involvement and kind of how it seemed like she was there making the right choices. What you're saying is right. The criticism that maybe one person, if they get too involved, they might make they might say some stupid shit. And I'm not even talking about the about the the turf thing. I'm talking about what you just said, the, the pooping yourself. No, stop it. That's too far. When during the making of this film. Um, she had a bit more input, uh, like the director and Chris and screenwriter kind of screened things, screened things through her. And I mean, yeah, I, like I mentioned earlier, some directors that were, that were originally going to be brought on to direct, they wanted to combine book one and two together. And she said no. And I think she was absolutely fucking right. Like thematically, I feel like the first one and the second one don't really match they don't they fucking don't and i'm glad that jk stepped in and was like no they need to be separate stories another thing that i really liked was i mean it this kind of shows um just how many different versions of this movie we would have gotten because steven spielberg was originally originally he was in talks to direct this movie damn this man how many movies have we done of his already two too yeah and, and fuck how many more episodes are we gonna do this is the man he's the dude and this man wanted to make an animated version of this film with the lead going to Haley joel osmond he wanted <laughs> to make this an animated film or a film that incorporated elements from subsequent books as well so combining one and two he said in his opinion it was like shooting ducks in a barrel it was just a slam dunk it's just like withdrawing a billion dollars and putting it into your personal bank account. There's no challenge. And she says that she had no, she she didn't have a role in choosing directors. 
But when she met up with Chris Columbus and he pitched her his version of the film, she said it was it, it was exactly what she imagined. And I'm willing to bet that the execs of Warner Bros. like, all right, who do you think could do this? I, I think she went to bat for uh for Chris. I think maybe Steven didn't lose it at that moment. Maybe he backed out, but I think maybe they she did have a bit more influence. And with the film we got, I have to say, I, I think they killed it. I think the they made a lot of good decisions separating these the films, the way it was designed, some of the differences that they did make, you know, Harry with his eyes, Hermione with the teeth. Um kind of simplifying the end, I think, was was good. Yeah. And um I I commend it's from what I read, it, it seemed like she really kind of made a lot of good decisions, especially in the pre-production and making of this film. So kudos to her. Because in the end of the day, I still think this is a solid film, way more solid. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with kind of how she's contributed to the Fantastic Beasts franchise, I'm kind of like, I'm happy this JK didn't work on the original Harry Potter films, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking about that, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know how many people out there listening to this have read the essay that jk rowling wrote about her um gender critical uh beliefs i heard it was a it was a goddamn book wasn't it or i read it in like 30 minutes it's not really that long three thousand words so like a i don't know term paper in college i guess with no sources she just kind of well she pulled the chappelle but instead of going on stage, she wrote it down because that's what she knows how to do best. We could talk about this for for a while, I think. Um, Ooh, man. And- because like, what the thing is with Dave Chappelle, what makes it even worse, I think, is he had his show, The Chappelle Show, right? And then he left the show because he thought that people were um, laughing at certain people were laughing at his jokes the wrong way yes you know oh what my I God. mean I, yeah, no 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 i know exactly what you're talking about the pixie sketch yes for people who don't know the pixie sketch is basically where you have like it's different characters like you have dave Chappelle who's on a plane and this the flight attendant asks him if he wants chicken or fish he wants chicken but he's afraid of asking for chicken because he thinks it's going to be too stereotypical right and he envisions an actual minstrel character like like it's dave Chappelle, but an even like darker makeup and he's he's doing the voice and the dance and it's almost like he doesn't want to pick the chicken because he feels like it's gonna be too much of a stereotype they do with a hispanic their character as well it's a strange sketch um Mm -hmm. and you're obviously dealing with something that a lot of people go through you know Uh, And I do remember him kind of saying that he felt that people were laughing at it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. Like you understand how harmful telling certain jokes can be, but you're not willing to, what does he say, to bend to their demands or something? Yeah. And it just seems very hypocritical. Yeah. And and, I mean, going back to, look, man, it just, here's the thing too. Look, man, you don't have to relate to 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 exactly what they're going through. Do you know what I mean? But it's a, it's almost like just a, a sense of of just respect, of mutual respect. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe I don't understand, 
what the Asian experience is like or what the black experience is like. But you know what I'm going to do? I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you and I'll take your word for it. Maybe I don't understand all the answers or all the questions that you've, that you've got going on. But mm-hmm. at a decency, I'm not going to ridicule what you're going through. Yeah. Um, man, we got really sidetracked. But in the J.K. Rowling essay that she wrote, the, the data that she uses is kind of misleading. And it's kind of, you know, makes you question whether or not is she really just ignorant of these things or is she doing this on purpose to prove her point? People have gone over the essay uh, i was watching this youtuber jesse gender mm-hmm. she went through the entire thing and picked apart all the parts that were like hey this is misleading this thing that she says that i want to talk about and how it kind of changes the way i see some of these movies um she talks about how the trans community is like harassing her for saying things that are in quotes transphobic um I doubt, about, I doubt it was actual harassment but I'm, I'm sure that there are people out there who feel a sense of like righteous fury and will direct it at at people on twitter or they'll send them hate mail i'm sure that that happens um and that you know what it happens to people for just existing to trans people for just existing yeah some of them are murdered you know some of them are uh, sent so many hateful messages that they kill themselves. That, that, okay, that is true. This is the the part that really bothers me when it comes to Harry Potter specifically. Um, there is this thing in Scotland, I think, a gender recognition certificate where you you could register as a woman without going through hormones or surgery or anything, right? So she's so she says that this is dangerous because it's allowing men in female spaces. I remember this. Oh, I remember this. Right? I remember this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she in this essay, she never talked about this before, but she talks about uh sexual she's a sexual assault survivor. JK? Yes. Oh shit, I didn't know that. It was not public knowledge until this essay came out where she's defending her anti-trans beliefs sexual assault isn't something anyone should ever have to go through no 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 right but by putting your foot down and saying that these trans women shouldn't be going into our bathrooms because that will open the door for sexual assault no god damn it dude what the fuck i i think i remember that now it's just it's so dangerous the reason why uh, trans people say that these beliefs are dangerous is because they're her, in her essay, she's saying that she's kind of saying that trans women aren't real women, mm-hmm. right? That, and it's, that, that it's men pretending and that they're going to take advantage of you. Yeah. So just like the, the purposefully like misgendering trans women and questioning their identity and stuff is directly linked to, to suicide. Shit. So when, when they say it's dangerous, why this rhetoric is causing people to commit suicide it's actually backed in data you, you think we've learned by now um through kind of the history that we've gone through you know like with among race and stuff like that and yet people just don't get the the message do you know what i mean because it's kind of it's it's 
it's really dangerous when you kind of uh do that there's um i remember there's a tv show with oscar isaac it's based off a real story it's by david um david simon um is about how low-income houses in new york uh, or low-income families were given residency in some middle-class neighborhoods in new york i think in Mm -hmm. yonkers and families were opposed to i mean there's a bunch of meetings in town halls where it's like families are like we don't want them here we don't think we don't like that you know it's that whole we don't like that kind here you know referring to Mm -hmm. largely black community and because you really think like once you bring them in or once you let them do this, you know, who, you know, they're going to, everything's going to become unsafe. Do you know what I mean? And this, this yeah. shows back in the, or the show was recent. I think this happened back in the nineties. And I mean, that's the thing when you say like, look, man, if you allow people to gender themselves, however they'd like, this is going to increase sexual assaults. Cause then you're going to have a man going into women's restrooms. And it's just like, Okay, number one, show me the data, right? If you wanna, if you wanna make, if you wanna make these bold accusations, fucking show the numbers. You don't, you don't have them. You're and you're just lumping an entire group together that you really don't know that much about. It sounds like she doesn't know that much about. Yeah, and I'm sorry that you were assaulted, J.K. That's a shitty thing. That should have never happened. But you ain't got no right to. To just do that to an entire community. <sighs> and it, it, she does like that classic xenophobic thing where it's like, hey, I'm not racist, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She like the exact quote is, I believe the majority of trans identified people pose zero threat to others, but are vulnerable for all the reasons I've outlined. Trans people need and deserve protection like women. They're most likely to be killed by sexual partners. Trans women who work in the sex industry, particularly trans women of color, are at particular risk. Like every other domestic abuse and sexual sexual assault survivor I know, I feel nothing but empathy and solidarity with trans women who've been abused by men. So I want trans women to be safe. Here's the but. At the same time, I do not want to make natal girls and women less safe. When you throw open the doors of bathrooms and changing rooms to any man who believes or feels he's a woman, and... As I've said, gender confirmation certificates may now be granted without the need for surgery or hormones. Then you open the door to any and all men who wish to come inside. That is the simple truth. Yeah, again, I don't think a sign has ever stopped a man from harassing a woman. Just no. like just like laws have not stopped men from murdering, raping, all the all the fucked up shit. That's that that happens. Like just if you just like think about it for a second, like so do you want these trans women to go into men's bathrooms how would how would they feel safe in there you're sending them up to die think think about that in in a way i can kind of see where she's coming from um because it has kind of happened before within the feminist movement a a lot of the like women's suffrage like early early feminist movement was mainly about securing the rights of white women. Like, have you heard of the term white feminism? Oh, yeah. So, like, white feminism doesn't mean feminists who are white. It's specifically for, like, women who are white supremacists before they're feminists. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh huh. It's like, uh, I'm going to protect... I'm in a marginalized group, and I'm going to protect myself and my, <clears throat> my tribe 
so even if I hurt other people that are still like a a part of my my tribe, I guess. Fuck them. They don't they don't look like me. Yeah, it's like they don't look like me. They don't sound like me. So fuck them. It's like you're you're in a marginalized group and you want to retain dominance. It's weird. Or I don't I don't even know if it is. Dom- what is she trying to fight for? I, I think that she's wants to put cis women first and yeah. she doesn't want to compromise the safety of cis women for transgender women. I think that's like the 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 core of it. Yeah, but it's literally where it's like I, I don't want my protected status as a woman to be infringed upon by also reaching out and protecting this this other group of people who I don't think are really women. Well, it's never really a good idea once you start questioning someone's like own like be- like not even beliefs, but like who they are. Do you know what I mean? Like that it really doesn't lead anywhere positive. And it's doing psychological harm to them. Like well, yeah. I've I've watched a few of these um transgender con- transgender content creators talk about Harry Potter um and they all are really exhausted by it. Jesse Gender, she she has like this hour long video and it's full of citations. And like at at the end of the day, I'm like, like, this is the steps that you have to go through to to tell people this is who I am. I'm not lying about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I've, I think I watched Jesse Gender talk about it. I watched this uh, YouTuber Oakworm talk about it. O-A-K-W-Y-R-M. Uh, and this. Alex Birdie, mm-hmm. uh, another YouTuber, and they they're all like really tired by it. You talk you talk about the biggest like like fuck you almost right where it's like oh my god there's this franchise I love it it's it's I great. see myself in it and then it's like oh it, it's it's it must be like so conflicting with yeah. and she's JK. Rowling, she's the world's first billion-dollar author. First? First. Shit. She doesn't have to put any citations. She'll read this. She'll write this essay with with no proof. She'll misconstrue numbers to to fit her point, and people will believe it. Yeah. People will buy the next Harry Potter and continue to keep her very rich, very wealthy. It's disappointing. It's disappointing. And so a lot of what these trans people do, they're like, they have varying, they have really complicated relationship with the the series now. Because oh, yeah. it is, J.K. Rowling is Harry Potter, you know? Yeah. Uh, so a lot well, of them will just not financially contribute to the franchise anymore. They won't pay money to see the movies or to see the play or, or the video games or whatever. Mm-hmm. They'll just kind of get stuff secondhand so that, it does the money doesn't go to JK Rowling, but some of them are just they they just can't deal with it at all. And like I I get it, you know. No, no, I, no, no, a hundred percent, yeah. And when you like like watching this movie, right after reading that thing about the bathrooms, and I'm watching that bathroom scene in the Sorcerer's Stone, like this troll goes into her mind into the girl's bathroom and victimizes Hermione. A place that she's oh, supposed to be safe in. No, you just recontextualize the entire scene for me. It it doesn't feel great. Maybe she didn't think about it when she was writing the book, right? That's totally possible. That's but what I'm thinking. She wrote this back in the 90s. 
Okay, this it's mm-hmm. been almost 30 years. I mean, her comments came out back when in 2016, 27, whatever, right? But this came out in the middle of the pandemic, her essay, 2020. Oh, but, but here's the thing. And, and this happens. This happens all the time. Someone will come out and say something like this, right? And obviously their art is going to be revisited. And maybe something that was totally innocuous, maybe if it was just a troll in the bathroom, right? Because that, that, that was just a scene right mm-hmm. now now we are adding a new meaning to it i mean it's this happens all the time i can't blame people for going back to that scene and thinking about that i can't after what she's saying especially emphasizing everything about the bathroom thing because she's obsessed with bathrooms that's yeah. that's what it seems like now we're just gonna look at bathrooms a little bit differently or maybe you know it, and it's not a good light it's not positive didn't r kelly have a song about age is just a number yeah he did Maybe he didn't write it with that intention. I mean, I doubt it. I don't know. He I was a pedophile for a very long time, wasn't he? He in, in I, front yeah. of in front of the media, right? With his weird relationship with Aaliyah. Exactly. I mean, all this news comes out. It's like we can't help but look through all the R. Kelly songs and pick everything apart. And when you have a song that says "Age is just a number," it's like, well, shit. <sighs> Some things have not aged in this film. I obviously still have my issues with the third act, but I still stand by what I said in the first part that JK has not aged. The, 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 the reason this franchise has not aged well is because of JK, in my opinion. The worst part is I can watch this film and enjoy it, right? And I can mm-hmm. I could watch it and be like, oh my God, this is incredible. And, you know, what would I do with my wand and just really get into it. But for trans people... Or it's just people vehemently against what she's saying, right? Not even vehemently, but just feel betrayed by her, by what she said. Mm-hmm. They, they've lost that magic. They can't go back and watch it. They can't look at the tattoos that they have on their body and look at the same thing. And that's fucking awful. It's not that she George Lucas it up and added midichlorians and something that you just don't <laughs> agree with. It's that in a weird way, you feel like you don't belong in this world that you identified so mm-hmm. strongly with. I've, I, I've never gone through that. I don't think I have. I bet you feel this way where it's like, man, maybe, maybe my race or my identity has not been shown off as much in the media. You, you know, well, for like, me, like, like never. <laughs> exactly. Like in that regard, but there's, there aren't things that you can't, there are still things that you could identify yourself in Spider-Man, Captain America, whatever, some superhero, right? Yeah. Some, some shit like that. But fuck, dude, having that taken away from you, it's depressing. And that's not what books are for. That's not mm-hmm. what movies are for. I mean, art has had his, my point is there has always been some controversy with art, right? Um, But it's just because it's happened doesn't mean it should still happen. And it's not that it's, or it's just a book, get over it. No, it clearly means something to a yeah. lot of people. To take that away is fucked up. Yeah, it's it's not very empathetic. It's I get why they, they don't want to financially contribute to it, though. Yeah, I, no, no, I do. I do. And, uh, and that's why when you pointed it out, I was like, you are absolutely correct. Um, Because, because yeah, because though, that's some strong-willed motherfuckers. For reals strong willed if you Mm. were born and raised with this franchise you read all the books you bought the films you love the films and stuff 
And now she said all this and you you have the willpower to stop and say, I'm making a deliberate decision to not finance something that is against me or someone that is against me. <sighs> massive power, massive power to you. I also understand that like it's it's something that's so ingrained in some people's identities that if they still do consume the media, like I, I think that there's not like one correct way to to go about it no 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 absolutely not except for like completely ignoring it i think that's the thing that we can't do i think just kind of turning a blind eye is kind of the worst thing you can do because i mean look man again i'm not the smartest guy when it comes to trans rights or or other other people's rights. i don't i don't understand the trans experience but you're willing to to learn i'm willing to try you're willing to listen to to that their side at least try you know what i mean like at least Mm -hmm. i'm like I, I, I'm I'm trying. I'm, I'm listening, you know, and that and that's all it takes. You know what I mean? I I think like we we there's so many things that about this that we didn't really get to talk about. And we're not so really much. experts on it, you know. So I mean, if no, if not. you are curious about it, um, I will provide some links in our blog posts to some of the things that I read, trying there's, to understand this issue from. There's so much available information free available information there's so many different outputs and it's all easily accessible i wish jk would have done some research at least go on youtube motherfucker just you know it's it is disappointing man i could see both sides i could see someone having the willpower to not support jk anymore and i could also understand other people still being able to watch it because I, I like this movie. It's enjoyable. Um, it's well made. You can see the sweat and the tears and the blood that the cast and crew put into this, especially the crew. Um, I mean, the sets, we, we, we barely talked about it, but the sets are incredible. Um, the costumes, the sound, the music, it's, it's so enriching and it's so beautiful. And the sacrifices that those kids made to to tell the story. Yes. Like Harry Potter did not, or Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Emma Watson, and... Rupert uh, Grint. Rupert, Rupert Grint. Grint. They, they didn't have childhoods like, like we did. No. You know? They, no, no, no. And those, those were sacrifices that they made. Granted, yes, they were paid, you could say they were paid millions of dollars and stuff like that. Yeah, but when you're a child, you need some formative years. And... They didn't have that. They spent a lot of time having cameras watched, cameras pointed at them on and off set. Because it didn't end once the movie was made. You know? It still isn't over for them, I think. No. You know, people Anywhere they go, they're going to be recognized. Hey. That's Ron. That's, that's Hermione Granger. That's Harry. So, you know, I can understand that and appreciating that. I think everyone can appreciate that. You know, even, even the people who that don't don't want to support jk anymore i'm sure they still appreciate it i feel like i always say this every episode but this is why we revisit these films it's why we go back in time and what can we learn about the films about the people that made them and how did they relate to today we need to do that we 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 have to keep doing that and we have to talk about these things if we keep ignoring them then people are going to suffer and people are going to get away with saying some dumb shit that maybe they shouldn't be this is the, I'm sorry if this last hour has been a dour part, at an hour, but that's kind of the point, you know, like we didn't ruin the party, 
JK ruined the party, you know? Uh, and what episode was it? It might have been in Willy Wonka, maybe? Maybe, yeah. We didn't ruin the party. Roald Dahl ruined the party. And here, JK ruined the party. So, Yeah, for sure. You want to get into our quotes? Oh, shit. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about the quotes. Oh, my God. I am so shocked. God damn it. There's so many. That's something that I really like. There's so many funny lines in this movie. Um, actually, I I have a pretty basic a basic quote, um, but I really like it because something that you said that stuck out was you don't you didn't see Hermione and Ron being together. But rewatching mm-hmm. this film, I'm like, no, actually, it makes a lot of sense. I could actually see them getting together after rewatching this first film. But uh, my quote it's between Ron and Hermione. It's a it's a basic quote, but it's when uh. He's doing Wigardium Leviosa. She's like, stop, stop, stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. Besides, you're <laughs> saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosar. Um, <laughs> classic. Classic. But I like that scene in the bathroom where she kind of reminds him and he actually gets it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just a little thing that it's a special little moment that they had. Yeah. A lot of quotes stuck out watching this film, but that was a cute one. And it's, I think everybody knows about it. So it's kind of a nice basic quote. What's your quote? My quote is when they're in Ollivander's, which is the wand shop. <gasps> and Harry's like testing out the wands. I don't know if I'm working. And then the, the guy who runs the shop is like, hmm, I wonder. And he brings him this other wand that is very special because there's only two like it that exist. One that he's about to give Harry and the other one was from another wizard who did terrible, who did great things. The wand did great things. Terrible, but great. And that's how I feel about JK Rowling and the franchise, I think, because like these books, you know, spawn these movies that this entire wizarding world of Harry Potter huge influence on people's lives. But she's also a transphobe. You know, what she did to, to that, that community of people with, with, with that essay, with her tweets, it's awful to just rip, rip that away from them. You know, when they thought that they were in a safe place in that, that fantasy world. Damn, that's a pretty fucking good quote, man. Thanks. You brought it full circle. 100%. You know what? That's my quote now, too. And actually, I, I know we didn't talk about this a lot, but I really like that scene. I do, too. It's great. We talked a lot. But just one final point. Um, I mean, this movie was well made. The production design, incredible. The music, the lighting. It all really comes together in that wand shop. Like all these elements mm-hmm. come together really well, you know, because you have John Hurt, who's the he, that's he's John Hurt, right? Is it? Yeah. Mr. Ollivander. Oh, shit. So you have it's incredibly well acted, both on Harry, on Daniel Radcliffe's part and John Hurt part. you got a great cast. You have this really interesting premise. And he, he kind of John Hurt alludes to this greater mystery as to what did this wizard do? Great, but terrible things, right? That. 
already builds up some mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, the music swells up when when Harry touches the wand. The light, there's a beam of light that kind of surrounds Harry in this dark room that looks very chaotic. Chaotic, but it it feels real. Mm-hmm. It feels real. I was I was telling my dad I was like I feel like I've been in that room. Yeah, there's that shot where John Hurt grabs the final one and he stares over at Harry, and even my dad was like, "That's a good shot." Yeah, like, it's like it this is? long, skinny hallway, and you can clearly see uh, Ollivander's like um, figure, and it yeah. just like turns to him. And there's this top light that give it, that's giving him this like kind of ominous shadow, but it's not dangerous. It's more of like a like a, it's a mystery and i mean the music the production design the way all the wands just look chaotic the lighting uh it, the acting this what's happening in the story it's incredible yeah there's this uh you know how the, there's a harry potter world in universal studios mm-hmm. they have an olivanders where you're one person is like randomly selected and the time that i went liana was actually selected so she got to like experience that whole like, hmm, which wand is for you? And all these like things happen with the room. Like you get the first one and then like all the, the cabinets open and papers fly out. And then when you get the one that's yours, like it, there's like a beam of light that comes from the ceiling and, and there's like wind coming in that blows your hair back. And she was just like in tears because she was living that that thing that meant so much to her as a kid. Yeah, I, I can't blame her. I can't play. I can't blame anyone for getting sweet, like sweeped up in that moment. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, that's what Harry Potter does. You know, it was the movies were well made, well constructed, and so many people felt like this was our world. You know, that's what makes the whole J.K. thing more heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I loved that wand scene. I just I think it was incredible and. Uh, yeah, it kind of just goes with what I was saying. I really like the beginning. I, I know you feel differently because of Matilda. I I can't wait till we, we watch Matilda. <laughs> when he gets to like the Wizarding World, I'm like, yes, I'm into this movie now. Great film. I I recommend rewatching it if you already if you haven't already, or if you have decided to take a different stance with the film. More power to you. Uh, our money talks, and uh, if you have the willpower to say no to this film, hey, my hats off to you. All right. That's it for this episode. I hopefully it wasn't too long. Hopefully, maybe you learned something, or you're in, been encouraged to go and do a little bit more reading on shit. I a am community you might not be f- too familiar with. I think what I what I want to do is maybe have another marathon, kind of go through these films, kind of because uh, it's been a minute. I kind of want to reevaluate how I feel. Mm-hmm. Maybe revisit Hermione, because I mean, you you brought up some good points. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe this was never an issue before. So maybe it's not an issue later on. I don't know. And also, like we were saying before, kind of. It's very natural to revisit an artist's work who has gone out and said or done something controversial. Harmful. (laughs) Yes. Well, I was thinking in general, uh, you know, kind of like in general. uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, But in this situation, yes, very harmful. I think it's worth checking out. Yeah. Or two weeks from now, we're going to have... I don't know if we've decided on if we're doing this for sure or if we're doing the other movie. But are we doing Clockwork Orange? Or are we oh. doing Mad Max? 
Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Mad Max was, you had a guess for that. Yes. I'm down for Mad Max. Down for um, Mad Max? Yeah. So, okay. So I'll explain a little bit. I originally wanted Clark with Orange, but December is going to be front, uh, it's going to be heavy with a lot of, a lot of films that are going to be heavy. So I was like, all right, maybe I'll throw Austin a little loop. I'll throw Austin, maybe like, we'll finally do Norbit or something. You know, I was going to throw this on him at the last minute, but <laughs> you had, but you're familiar with a streamer who wants to talk about Mad Max. What's their name? Nebula. Nebula on Twitch. Well, that's, that's how I know them. Nebula. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to talk about, they wanted to come on and talk about Mad Max. I've never seen Mad, Mad Max, the first one. Oh my God. I'm Dude, excited. Fuck it. Let's do it. Let's see the humble beginnings of Fury Road. The very, very humble beginnings. My God. <laughs> The things that he had to do to get that movie made. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know you a director. Mm-hmm. All right. That's enough uh, from us. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to like or subscribe to the podcast, however you're listening to it. Check out our socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram at retrograde underscore pod. Uh, we are on Facebook, fa- Retrograde Podcast. We are on YouTube, Retrograde Podcast. And we've got a Discord if you want to come and hang out. Recently, we've had people argue about a movie in our <laughs> in our um, um, TV and Movies channel, which is just fun, as long as no one's getting their feelings hurt. It's not violent. It's not hurtful. It's not anything. violent. Yeah, it's just very, very detailed um, argument. And... I guess they're done with it, so there's peace in the channel again. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you later. See you guys. See ya.